Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 40. 40? 40. 40. Wow. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our past. Not so many guilty pleasures, really. No, not so many. I don't many. feel that Just guilty. Just a few. A few here and there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sorry, <laughs> each week... One of us chooses a film or a TV show or some sort of media property. I don't know why I'm using that word. Media properties. That the other person has never seen before. And then we right the wrongs. Yes. We force the person to watch the movie. We've already discussed that there are no lid locks, uh, clockwork orange type things involved. And then um, we uh, unpack it all here. Not the lid locks. Yes. um, But the conversation about the show. And we invite you to join us. In fact... If you like what you're hearing today, you should subscribe to the show. I remember to do this at the beginning. Yeah, I know. Subscribe to the show. Find us on Facebook. Shut up. Watch this. Send us email at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, And leave us a review on iTunes. Yes. Or a star rating, and it'll help other people find us. Okay, that stuff aside, it was my turn to choose the movie. It was your turn. What did you choose, Dave? I chose David Cronenberg's The Fly. Mm-hmm. 1986, 1986 sci-fi horror sort of thing. Yes. Starring Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. and Gina Davis. And that and had one other person in it, I think. That's it. It was a very small... Three, maybe three other people. Small, uh, <laughs> yeah. John Getz. Yes. John Getz played the jerk. The, one of the most awful... Male human being, being uh, contemptuous, misogynist sorts of uh, 80s types. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, where do you want to begin? It could have been worse. Um, (laughs) So uh, I guess we usually say why I hadn't seen this movie. I don't know why I didn't see this movie. I mean, I was five when it came out. five. When it came out, but... You don't see David Cronenberg movies when you're five. I don't know. It just seems like something I would have seen. Because I've seen The Dead Zone, and I've seen Scanners, and I've seen all of the Viggo Mortensen, David Cronenberg ones, Eastern Promises, and History of Violence? History of Violence. Yes. Um, Which was good. Um, And so I'm not real sure why I didn't see The Fly. I saw the 1958 original version of it. You're one up on me. I've yeah. never seen that. <laughs> Help me. Which they he actually quoted, you know, is the oh, last, the famous last line oh, yeah. from the 1958. I didn't thing even is the little that. fly with a man body. Okay. Oh, no, no. Fly, yeah, fly with a man head going, help right. me. Caught in a web. Yeah. Spider's web. That's the. I've seen that scene. I've just never the seen the last the rest of the scene of that movie. Yeah. So you've somehow never seen this. Yes. So if we cycle back to why I chose this. Oh my God, I can't believe you've never seen this before. <laughs> Why have you never seen this? And since it's October, she told me that um, I had to choose something scary it's or something a horror scary. film. scary, yes. So I chose a scary horror film. Yes. Or a gross horror film? You didn't... I it's, spec- like, it's like psychological horror. It's like a ro- Rosemary's Baby Dead kind Ringers. of thing. Have you seen Dead Ringers? Did you mention that? I don't remember if I've seen Dead Ringers or not. I would have to remind. That's maybe a one-timer. yeah. I, I know Jeremy Irons. I know I've seen Dead, Dead Zone and I know I've seen Scanners, but yeah, that's... I've never seen Scanners, and I should. Yes, and I've never seen Videodrome. Isn't that Cronenberg? Yeah, um, I've never seen The Brood, which mm-hmm. I remember I from. My, I've read about it in my cult movies book and think... decided several times that I'm not sure if I want to see that. Well, I, I read today that um, he was inspired to make that based on the end of his first marriage. The Brood. <laughs> yes. Huh. <laughs> And didn't he make the fly around the time his father was dying or had I, died or I something? I think so. I'm not sure, actually. So, Well, if you're familiar with Cronenberg at all, and you are. A little bit, yeah. He's all about body horror. Yes. Yes. Kind of squeaky, shocking, gross um, body horror type stuff. Yeah. But 
this movie is a love story too. Yes, it is, and and a actually kind of compelling one, I would argue. Yeah, you it's know? not it's not a a color by numbers like let's throw in a romantic subplot. Yeah, I would say it's the a plot. I mean, yeah, this I is, think so. This is a love story. Are where we the compl- having a romance? Where the complication? <laughs> yeah, he says that, doesn't he? Yeah. Are we having a romance? <laughs> That's when she invites him to go to Florida or something. Yeah. Um, okay, but before we do that. I, I chose the movie. Yes. You hadn't seen it. It's a big blind spot. Mm-hmm. We go for the blind spots. Yes. But I haven't seen it in 20 years. Mm. And I'm pretty sure even how gross it is that I've seen it like three times. Yeah. I know I saw it in the movie theater yeah. in 86 um, with my sister. She was my movie buddy, my my older sister back then. Um I saw it again, Showtime, Cinemax kind of thing. Mm. You know, I know I watched it again, like within a year. And, yeah. And it was a great movie. I'm kind of surprised, though, because it's actually pretty gross. It's a lot. It's worse than I remember it being. <laughs> but I think on the upside, what I was remembering was how good the how good uh, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis yeah. are and how good the story is and how mm. much you care about the characters. So I thought, Some hey, if I'm going to throw in a <laughs> horror movie this week yeah, and a blind spot, it should be uh, one with a good story and a, a love story. Yeah. <laughs> we don't go for uh, torture porn. That's true. We go for well, love you know, story horror. And there is, I mean, and there's, well, interestingly, there is so much chemistry between Goldblum and Gina Davis. It's nutso on the screen. It's it's like palpable. And like I know from reading about them that they started dating maybe during when they were making it okay. or just after. I so. turned to you in the when the movie started yeah. and said, I think they were They were married couple. for three years after. Okay. Uh, from 87 to 90. So while they were making this film, they were probably falling they in love. They are really and, into each other. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, all of the early stuff that usually happens too quickly in most movies yeah. where like, oh, she likes him. Why? Yeah. You got it. Mm-hmm. Like you could see... <laughs> the glimmer of interest that you're like, why are you going home to his weird warehouse yeah. with him? <laughs> because you want to uh, uh, write a science article yeah. about uh, current research? <laughs> or is he also kind of cute and charismatic? Yeah. So, yeah, they had a, they have a lot of chemistry. But, you know, interestingly, a lot of couples that are going through that period uh, that we know about, the chemistry doesn't always come across in the... In the shows that they, you know, in the in the acting, you know. But boy, sometimes when there needs to be chemistry yeah. and there really isn't, yeah. it's so painful. Yeah. It's like you see people and they look like their brother and sister kissing or yeah. trying to, I don't know. This did not feel like well, that. Well, I wonder, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's different styles of acting, but like some actors are able to use their actual feelings and emotions and get those to come out and some have to dissociate from themselves and in order to become a character so i think for the type that sort of dissociate from themselves in order to to be something i think maybe they're not able to draw on that sort of even if they're in the relationship with the person they're acting with they're not able to draw on that because in order to do their thing i don't know you I know i don't know that tom cruise and nicole kidman ever had much on screen chemistry. I don't know that they had chemistry ever, but... <laughs> I blame Dianetics. Um, I don't know why I picked on them. They just popped into my head as a prominent couple well, of yesteryear yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. But anyway, um, I think we should just do a kind of thumbnail, like what the what the setup is for mm. this version of The Fly, in case it's been a long time, if you have seen it before, yeah. or if you're not familiar with this version. Can you run us through... Uh, who, what, and how we get to the so fly thing. So we start at, it's sort of a science slash journalism meetup sort of cocktail party where Gina Davis, who's a journalist who works for Science Magazine, a big name Science Magazine. Well, to be fair, <laughs> Omni was a real magazine back yeah. then, and this was basically Omni. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought she was writing for Particle was the name yeah, of the I know, magazine. but... but it, they actually, you know. Well, she she they mention Omni by name because they can't actually have her work for I, Omni. But that's the there actually was a big science and science <laughs> fiction sort of thing that would do this sort of thing. So anyway, she's there to meet some scientists and interview them for this magazine. And she, the first person she runs into is 
Jeff or um, Seth Brundle. Seth Brundle, um, and he's like, "Come back to my lab with me, and you know, and look at my etchings, look at my telepods." Yeah. At first, she's like, "I don't know, bro," but then she he convinces her, and he's they like, get, "You want? Do you want to see the one thing that's going to change, change. Uh, science and yeah. all humanity as we know it?" That's mm-hmm. right. And so then um, he takes her back. He. Man, he lives in a sketchy yeah, part of town. He does. <laughs> it's a much nicer area of Toronto I than, I mean, than, even, it is, even than it was in nineteen eighty. That his character is okay and yeah. that she's okay. Yeah. It's like, why are you going to this warehouse in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I, I don't know. So anyway. Well, I mean, it's funny when I'm first watching it because it does have that sort of sense of foreboding that you show up at this like empty place where there's no one and there's mm-hmm. just a warehouse and he unlocks the door and then there's this whole thing where he's going to lock the door again and then he sits down and starts playing, playing piano, the piano and then makes a really inappropriate joke about murdering her Yeah, <laughs> after right. he's locked her into his warehouse, yeah. which is, you know, but I guess she's enough into him that... Um, that uh, that it doesn't matter, and then he proceeds to show his magic trick with his telepods that he can move a stocking from one end of the room to the other. <laughs> yes, he asks for a personal item. Yes, so that so that he that she knows that it, so it's not a plan. So the moment you realize that she's not against. Yes. Anything else is yeah. when she chooses a stocking rather yes. than a Lipstick ring on her finger or, or yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the stocking. Her that jacket, comes off. you know. <laughs> Put it in one weird hive like telepod mm-hmm. and it teleports, boom, across the room mm-hmm. into the other one. Yes. The only problem is he can't uh, teleport living beings. Yes, not yet. <laughs> Well, and what I think is interesting is at the end of that first meeting, she's still more interested in, uh, I mean, like, she's flirting with him, but she's still... But she wants the scoop she on wants the She wants the story. No, she wants the story. Yeah. She's she all even, about the story. She takes it back to her awful, misogynistic asshole of a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's not even her boss. He's, like, he's the editor at the magazine. Yeah, she she's a freelance. She's a freelancer. Yeah, okay. She doesn't yeah. work for him. She mm. would, like, sell him a story, right? Yeah. Like, buy my story on X. And if he doesn't want it, she would shop it somewhere else. So I think she's freelance. Well, and that building that the magazine is supposedly in is amazing. It's, yeah. it's, I don't even know what to call it. It's some sort of futuristic. It's in Toronto. It's a, I can't remember. I looked this up, which building it was. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like S- reflective cubes. And it's, stuff a, like it's good. <laughs> See, she's going through her uh, architecture <laughs> period right now. Um, so she notices that. I noticed it. I pointed it out. I said, hey, look at that building. Um, It was a pretty cool building. To make a long story short, uh, she's all about getting the story, and he convinces her to write the book about him. Not just the article. Write the book about me. Be there. Watch history made as I work through the the problems on the devices. spend lots of time with me. And spend lots of time with him. So they fall in love. Yes. They start a romance. After he blows up a baboon. No, yeah, after he blows up a baboon. Former boyfriend, asshole, slash editor of the magazine is still kind of stalking her and haranguing her and shows up in her apartment and in the shower he still has a key and all that. It's all very creepy and awful and terrible. He follows her to a... To like a department store too, which is weird. I don't know. So the turning point though is of, uh, is when she goes off to try and finally end things with him once and for all. She leaves in the middle of the night. Jeff Goldblum get feels jealous and upset and realizes that she's going off to see the ex-boyfriend. Doesn't really understand the context or anything. Yeah. And hell, what the heck after polishing off that bottle of wine, let's try um, beaming himself through the telepod. Yes. First, on, D- a, don't on telepod- a human being. Don't telepod and drunk. Don't what, telepod and drunk. What, and drunk. <laughs> because don't a, drunk, drink a fly and gets into the chamber with him. Yes. And when he comes out on the other side, we don't know it at first. The whole rest of the movie is the transformation. Well, we know it. But we know it. He doesn't know it. <laughs> his genetic it's dramatic material, irony. <laughs> his genetic material has been spliced together with that of the house fly. Yes. Takes him a while to figure out what happened. And he transforms in many different ways. Slowly. Yeah, over time into... First, it's like extreme strength and energy, and then he's, weird hair on the back of his yeah, uh, on his back, and then his body starts to deteriorate in in weird ways. He becomes 
very manic and no. uh, his personality changes. He mm. has this heightened sense of like superiority and like a Superman kind of complex mm-hmm. and thinks that he's that he just thinks that something about going through the process of teleporting him has like actualized him or like yeah. ignited like his whatever inner Mm-hmm. And he gets this thing where he wants her to go through too. You know, it's yeah. like trying to get somebody to do a drug. Yeah. <laughs> do it too, honey. I told you I'm not going to. We'll be a to. super couple. So anyway, beyond telling the whole story of the yes. movie. <laughs> did you, how did you respond to this film? You know, I, I am most interested in what... I mean, like, it's interesting, the transformation that's happening, but that kind of story happens a lot. There's lots Mm -hmm. of stories about guys, for one reason or another, turning into a monster of some sort. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm kind of interested in in Gina Davis's story, because, like, I I don't know, I I think they do a good job of sort of paralleling the the stories, maybe. Mm-hmm. Although I was a little put off at first because she comes on the scene like with all this attitude and intelligence and, and then sort of by the end she's kind of not as active in the story. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of reacting to the terrible things that are happening, well, both to her and to the to the thing. But I guess if you put it in the context of the love story, like the horror of watching you know, someone that you've fallen in love with turn into something else sort of monstrous, I guess that yeah, could... Yeah, so basically... And then it also affecting her, you know? You know, because there's the whole scene where she discovers that she's pregnant and the horror of realizing that it's likely got some sort of modified DNA. Yeah, you so know? she wants to get rid of the baby. Yeah. So, I mean, that is... So let's go here yeah. for a minute. Yeah. He truly becomes a monster. Yeah. He becomes unrecognizable as a human mm-hmm. being. He becomes like a horrible, de- deteriorating, cancerous kind of thing with flesh falling off, his ear comes off, yeah. fingernails come Like he's trans- literally transforming into some kind yeah. of man fly well it's interesting because he's also a scientist during this whole process so it's like he's observing it and like like he's able to observe it from that sort of objective like detached thing so he's like telling her about how the part of him that is human is fading away and he's left with this sort of um insect politics is what he calls it but like Oh, some of those yeah. speeches were great. Yeah, where he's he, like objectively telling her like what's going on inside him as he's becoming a different creature that's not human, and that sh- eventually he's like, "You need to go because I'm gonna because hurt I'm, you." I will hurt you. So. Yeah, um, that's the scene where she comes in and he's climbing on the walls, I believe. Yeah. Which I, I I read about and and watched some videos about today. It was actually a rotating set that they used. That's how they do that. Yeah, that's how they do Donald or. I don't know if that's how they do singing in the rain. Yeah, a rotating set, that kind of stuff. You know, of course, two thousand one is a rotating yeah. set with the. Well, I mean, like, so two thousand one is completely minimalist. Yeah. Whereas this set is like a person's apartment, and mm-hmm. like it's covered with like food wrappers from all the gross like. I don't even know how they did that. So they glued it all down, or nailed yeah, it, yeah. or everything. So it, when the thing rotated, it didn't like move or shake or fall to the mm-hmm. floor or anything like that. So they were like. All of the set people were like, that was a big pain that they had to glue all the fast food wrappers down. And mm-hmm. <laughs> So I was 15 when I saw this for yeah. the first time. I'm now an adult human being in my 40s. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Your own transformation. <laughs> yeah, my own transformation. Hopefully not quite as bad as Brundlefly. Um, so watching it this time was really interesting because I got all this stuff that I didn't before. Like mm. just the... You can read, you can bring so much to it. Yeah. And because this idea of somebody transforming into something with a different personality or an, a disease, monster, all that, it could be a an analogy for like a terrible, debilitating disease, like a cancer or something like yeah. that. But I was picking up on it as a metaphor, or it could be like a drug addiction of some yeah. kind. And Gina Davis being the one who's watching and helpless on the outside yeah. and trying to help. The, the one who's, um, you know, falling. Or I was seeing, like, 
a lot of the early stages of this transformation read to me like somebody having a severe like bipolar episode yeah. and because you have this change in personality you have this feel the delusions of grandeur mm-hmm. and the just no sleeping strength and this elated kind of energy and that rang home to me yeah you know in my family i've had people you know close to me who have been through stuff like that so yeah. i saw that and it was like responding to it like oh wow this is exactly like what it's like to have a loved one completely change yeah you know and well i I, 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 ca- I picked up on that as well you know because like the first thing is that he comes out and he's like talking a mile a minute and all of a sudden putting like eight tablespoons of sugar in his tiny little espresso and you know yeah. <laughs> gina davis has that funny line about um do you want do you take coffee with your sugar that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> so this is super gross and awful, but yeah. I think it's really hilarious. The scene where the where she goes over and it's yeah. the first time where he like pulls out a candy bar yeah. and he vomits on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then says, Oh, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> and catches himself. Because at that point I think he, it was a donut. He can no longer yeah, yeah it's a donut. He yeah. can no longer chew and digest yeah. food. So he like a fly, he actually spit regurgitates yeah. like a a deteriorating acidy kind of thing and goops up the food. Yeah. Anyway, sorry guys. It's really gross, but it's really funny. Well, I do kind of wonder at, cause there's like a four week period where he kicks her out of the apartment and then he calls her four weeks later saying he was like, I was afraid to call you at first and now I'm too scared not to call you. Um, and I kind of wonder like what was going on during that time because I was a little frustrated that he didn't seem to try to be looking for a solution. And I assumed that during that four week period that was happening, you know, well, do you remember, do you remember that? I don't Well, at what point does he stumbles on the idea of, well, I need to fuse a normal, a healthy human yeah. genetic material back into me. Yeah. And I don't know why he thinks that's going to work. Cause then he would be like a weird, like, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum fly. Yeah, which doesn't seem practical. But that seems to be his solution. He settles on that pretty early on, is the idea of fusing an, a healthy human back into Well, I wonder him. why he couldn't just have the machine, like, reformulate him without the fly DNA. Or, I mean, like, knowing what I know about DNA, we share so much in common with, with I mean, like, other living organisms. It's actually, like a very high percentage of our DNA is very similar to any other living organism on this planet. So maybe his computer wasn't sophisticated enough to sort it back out again. I don't know. You know, it was think that it would be able to (laughs) analyze what happened in reverse somehow. I mean, it can, he can reconstruct what happened by looking at the logs, but somehow he can't unfuse himself through another teleportation process. Well, and, you know, early on he said something about how, you know, he had somebody who built his computers, he had someone who built the telepods, and he's the one that sort of, like, put them all together and started using them for a purpose. So, I mean, I don't know if the type of of his knowledge just wasn't there in order to... Yeah, I think he was being a little modest, too, because they also threw around that he was uh, a runner-up for the, you know, could have won the Nobel Prize in physics. Yeah, Yeah. inches, so, (laughs) like, there's a runner-up. But you know what I mean. He was bandied about. Shortlisted. Shortlisted, like the Booker Prize. (laughs) Maybe it was just the Booker Prize he won. Um, Yeah. I... I also think it's interesting. There are a few, and so the reason, I came across this great site on David Cronenberg um, put out by the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, They have a virtual museum. We'll link to this in the show notes, but it's called the David Cronenberg Virtual Exhibition on the the TIFF It's really cool. So the reason I came across this is I was actually looking for a still image of um, Gina Davis's apartment. Huh. Um, Because. Why? Pray tell. I was struck by, um, you know, it's mid to late 80s. Um, I knew there was sort of like an Art Deco revival sort of thing, particularly in urban. I never know what it is you're going to focus on <laughs> when we watch a movie. So I was fascinated with her apartment, which sort of had this like soft Art Deco thing going on. And I just like, if you compare that to any, to the very masculine spaces in the, um, the, office for the magazine or Jeff Goldblum sort of like mess of a warehouse space that is yeah. like part like 
scientific marvel and part, you know, just some place to flop while you're, you know, working on your experiments. And so I, I don't know, I think it's, it was interesting how like feminine it was compared to any other space in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that sort of the art deco sort of theme kind of carried through into the design of the tetrapods as well. They mm-hmm. had sort of a, a beehive sort of look about them, you know, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that there's any sort of theme there, but yeah. I just, it's something that struck me. Um, but anyway, I found this cool site that uh, t- told me about, um, you know, we'll run through his whole career. Yeah, yeah, and and how the how the makeup was designed and and all of that stuff. Like apparently, like the first time he wore the suit, like he tried it on for like twenty minutes, and then um, and then when it was time to shoot, he tried it. He, they put it on him, and they just shot the thing. Like they didn't do like massive rehearsals or anything oh, like so that. So there's only like a take or two. Of yeah, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it starts out as makeup, you know, yeah. in, in the early stages, and then it becomes all kinds of prosthetics, and then a suit, and what a, a all that. masterful transformation, because it starts off as just, like, patchiness on his cheeks, you know? Well, he has kind of a splotchy, bad complexion yeah. thing going on first. And then it starts to be, like, long, thick hairs, and, like, flaky skin, and then there's, like... Things start to peel off. Yeah, yeah, it's um, quite the... His teeth fall out. Yeah. His ear comes off. <laughs> And, you know, that is just, no matter how gross it is, it is just stunning. That last transformation Mm -hmm. where his skin all peels apart apart. and the insect comes out, like, comes out of his, like, his face falls off and, like, guys. How do they even, I mean, like, how did they, I don't know, did they melt it off or is there, like, a gradual process of them, like, peeling it off and you... Can I introduce you to the extras on the DVD? Yeah, I I need to watch that, but, um... I mean, like, I guess it could be sort of like a claymation. It doesn't, it looks much, much sharper than early claymation, but it's the same sort of melting sort of look, you know? Well, I think by that stage, it's some kind of puppet, wisp prosthetic stuff on it. Yeah. I don't even know. The last stage, the last stage is a puppet of some kind, or a machine, it is, it right? is. I've I mean, seen, yeah, it's 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 not him. I would like to see it's not him. Under no, of course, it's not. like an yeah, animatronic. It's no longer shaped in anything yeah, that could possibly be. It's like a, an animatronic something yeah. with that with a fly head at the end. So, despite that being his final form, yes, do you still do they? Do we still feel like that is Seth Brundle, the man that we saw in the beginning? Do you empathize with him? How do you feel about this character? Yeah. Is there any humanity left? Is it tragic? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's, I think it's fading, but I mean, like he, you know, makes that big, like when she finds out she's pregnant and goes to have the midnight abortion, um, and then he like breaks in and and steals her away and says, you know, please don't get rid of this child. It may be the last humanity, the last little bit of my humanity, you know. Which, like, wow, manipulative. Um, <laughs> I mean, for at that point, my sympathy is entirely with Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. You know, he did this to himself. It's it's sad that it happened, but like. She's alive and normal and control of herself, and you know she should well, be able to. <laughs> it was, it was a, his own making. Yeah, he never yeah. should have fucking flipped out yeah. and gotten jealous that night and beamed himself through yeah. the telepod. Yeah, without anybody else there. Just because it's understandable. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like. As it's interesting, like the effect of of people losing the you know the look of being human as they lose that, the harder it is to sympathize, you know? I mean, because it it doesn't have the facial features that you look for, for, no, but there's some, there's some pathos or something that I feel in that last moment when the awful thing like points the gun up at its head, you know, the shotgun in the last shot. Well, I mean, at that point he's, Suffering, suffering, you know, because he's been fused with the tetrapod, you know. Yeah, now something. he's got machinery hanging yeah. off, like, fused into him. Yeah. 
because the door was open and he was halfway out, and so who knows what the heck it did? Fused him with. Well, the I just device. I just felt like what horrible choices she has now. There's this creature that used to be someone that she loved, and then this like absolute jerk of a person who is trying to save her. I mean, so I have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, and I think I felt this when I was fifteen. Yeah. Also, I don't like that she becomes a femme fatale and, mm. and the horrible asshole who is the antagonist in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Well, one of them, I guess. Um, I think Jeff Goldblum is actually, <laughs> one of the, but, um, that he saves her in the end. Yeah. I don't like that. Me neither. I don't it bothers like me it. a lot Yeah, because he is a terrible person and mm. her fate should not be left up to him at the end. Yeah. And so somehow, this, you know, the screenwriters well, get us to ultimately a point. isn't. She's the one who he, she, he, well, she he, is put in the pod. Yeah, that's she true. is locked in the pod. Literally, um, Stathis mm-hmm. is the one who lying there bleeding with his hand like melted off and his foot melted off, mm-hmm. hobbles over there and gets her out yeah. of it. He saves her. Yeah. So. And he becomes kind of like the man saving the woman briefly. And I don't like that. It's Mm -hmm. a really strong film, and I still love the movie. Yeah. But that has always seemed like a false note to me. Well, he's just so unpleasant. He's like controlling. He's manipulative. He's like super creepy. He says, like, completely inappropriate things to people he's working with. Yeah. He's dismissive of her actual expertise and mm. professionalism. And um, he doesn't respect her as a journalist or as a a woman. Well, and she she says something about how he, she met him while she she was in college. He was a professor? Yeah, something like that. So he's. She was his teaching assistant. It was one it's of those sort of manipulative, of awful mentor slash. And yeah. I was like, I don't understand why she can. I mean, like sometimes she like she just didn't even have the energy to deal with how awful he was being. Um. <laughs> I didn't like that she she went back to him once or twice yeah. along the way. I don't yeah. think he should have been the one that she was turning to. I think, I don't know, you could have had a different character that wasn't so awful that was maybe, I mean, and they, they could be skeptical of what she was saying, They but like it would make more sense if she, he was someone she could trust and that was the reason she would go back to him yeah. from time to time. But I they wanted know. to also, they wanted his antagonism to be in several different they wanted yeah. him to be a romantic antagonist, yeah. this person from her past who has some sort of power over her yeah. now because he is in the position to employ her or yeah. not. And then they also want him to be connected to the science world to so that he can threaten her story, yeah. her journalism, and the, the experiment that uh, Jeff Goldblum is doing. Well, the thing is, is that... It's it's actually surprising. It's an interesting choice because I think so many other movies would have chosen to make him, instead of fixating so much on her, being interested in what the story had to offer. And, like, there could have been a whole nother thing where they focus on how he wants her. He doesn't want to take her for an abortion because he wants this baby to be this thing that they can write about in their science journal or something, you know, that they can report on this scientific discovery. I was even worried that uh, Goldblum would want to document yeah you know the progeny yeah exactly so i mean like i think that that it's interesting that they didn't go that route um so maybe that would have been more expected that's a thing that but the cronenberg taps the body horror fear when you realize that she could be pregnant with a monster and they even have that weird well the dream dream where she she gives birth to a larva yeah (laughs) (laughs) classic david cronenberg it's really creepy um, that, I Shall mean, we like, watch The Brood tonight? Well, that that's why, I mean, because of, of what Gina Davis goes through, it reminds me a lot of Rosemary's Baby. Wouldn't be surprised if it was a major influence um, because Rosemary's Baby is all about body horror and like not getting, and people who won't listen to you or believe you or, you know. All the gaslighting. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> Well, that's, interestingly, she doesn't have any trouble convincing Stathis that this is all for real. Yeah. Like, he pretty well, much almost right away 
Well, not, not the first time she visits, but... No, but it's not really a, a factor in the plot yeah. that nobody believes her or anything That's like that. That's true, but... It's more like she's stuck on the outside and doesn't know how to help. Yeah. And, and he's beyond help. Well, it was interesting. I was reading that apparently a lot of critics, when it came out, thought that it was a metaphor for the AIDS epidemic and, and how... You know, well, that's interesting. This yeah. is 1986. That yeah, was, that well, was on everybody's like, minds. Apparently, like he he didn't intend it to be, but he was talking more generally about sort of wasting diseases like cancer, or but like that parallel could be made too, as you know, as you know, a spouse or a partner of someone who is dying of AIDS, how that would change Mm -hmm. their body and their mind. And, you know, over time. Um, but I mean, like cancer is similar to, you know, I think that's what more what he had in mind when he made it. But I mean, essentially the, at the time the pathways were similar, you know, but he never becomes health helpless and he never has a caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. He is always strong. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, there's that period early on where he's on crutches and yeah. stuff and kind of like well, falling apart. Well, that's the apart, thing where I think it falls apart is because no sort of wasting disease that I know of, do you have a point where you feel like strong and, you know, before, you know, there's not this this time mm-hmm. when, you, when, when you're diagnosed with cancer when all of a sudden you feel strong and powerful yeah. and... That, well, this wasn't a metaphor for yeah. cancer. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't it think wasn't Cron- a very. It was a pretty clunky one. If well, it was, Cronenberg didn't intend that, right? Uh, apparently, he did. Oh, he did. Yeah, he said that, and oh. and Gina Davis said it uh, several times in some of the interviews that I saw. So, um, but I mean, I think it's kind of a clunky one. I think that you know maybe like a mental illness, like you said, would make more sense. This sort of, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. There's well, there's a lot it's, it's of there's bigger, so much in it though you know yeah I think it's a bigger picture analogy yeah. it's like it's the idea of someone becoming something unrecognizable yeah. to you something horrifying yeah in a way well I mean there's like all this I mean like the relationship dynamics are interesting the I mean like you get this like themes of like control and abuse and mm-hmm. um. And then, you know, a healthy relationship, and then, you know... The healthy relationship doesn't last very long. No, yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, like, it's interesting. There were elements, there were a lot of elements of different things, and I wish I'd written them down as they came to me, just like things that I saw, you know. Um. (laughs) No, I mean, seeing this again, I forgot how goddamn good Jeff Goldblum is Mm -hmm. and how great Gina Davis is. I mean, they're really great actors. It's true. I mean, we just saw Gene Davis in Glow, the, yeah. the Netflix series. Uh, she had a a part on in the Vegas yeah. uh, season that we just She's watched. Really She's really good. She's still in. just great. I was trying to think of what the first movie that I saw Gina Davis in. The first movie I saw Gina Davis in was uh, Tootsie, hmm. which you've never seen. The I've never Dust, seen Tootsie, Dustin yeah. Hoffman. I, she was in so many movies during that time. I mean, like... I know Thelma and Louise wasn't the first one I no, saw. No, uh, The Accidental Tourist with William I've Hurts. never seen that one. Um, I'm trying to think of stuff from that sort of 80s period. Um, um, the baseball one. Oh, yeah. A League of Their Own. Yeah, yeah. That I may th- have been one of the early ones I saw her in, but I remember her being like a major oh, like yeah. film actress. In, she was in, all over the yeah. place. She was great. And then she did, I, I, looking at her thing, she just sort of disappeared for a while in the 90s. And she said that, like, essentially, when she hit her 40s, sort of, you know, the roles dried up and they weren't as meaty yeah. as they used to be. And so she just didn't find as many things to to sink her teeth into, you know. And it looks like she's had some luck with TV lately, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then I've... I was also trying to think of the first thing I saw Jeff Goldblum in because I love Jeff Goldblum. I've loved him forever. I think he's fantastic. I'm pretty he's sure something. The Big Chill may have been one of the first thing I saw him in. I didn't see The Big Chill until I was like 25 so, or something, you know. Yeah, but I was watching his movies as they were coming out <laughs> yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, he was in Buckaroo Banzai. I remember that was another one I liked when I was a kid around that time. I, I, I mean, like the first time I. 
of course he was in Jurassic Park. Oh, Which, like, later. I just, yeah. I loved his character in Jurassic Park. And then the other thing that pisses me off about that, which is in the first book, he clearly dies. His character dies. They didn't do it in the movie, but in the book, his character dies. And then Michael Crichton himself brings him back in the sequel, which is very upsetting. That's terrible. Yes. <laughs> oh, look at me. 1980, 1983, The Big Chill. Mm. 1984, Buckaroo Banzai. Mm. Um, Into the Night. Little movie, I saw that. Silverado, I saw that. The Western, the Lawrence Kasdan Western. Um, Transylvania 6 5000, The Fly. Earth Girls Are Easy. Some I've of seen Earth Girls. That, I remember r- renting that on VHS at, from our local uh, convenience store. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love his voice. I, I think I the love big his, was the first film. I, I love his in. weird energy. I just yeah. I think he's great. I would watch him in anything. Yeah. You know, he's just he one of those a bit actors. Part of Annie Hall at a party as one of the weird guests. Well, and know. now he plays uh, jazz piano at some bar. I didn't know that. Yeah, like a couple nights a week or something like that. Um, <laughs> so him playing that piano was real. So I vote for more Gina Davis and more Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, they're still good. Yeah. Based on the most recent stuff I've seen them in. I guess he was in the latest Jurassic uh, thing. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the new uh, Jurassic Park. I don't know if that's what I would go back to see, but... Yeah. Hey, he does a voice in Isle of Dogs. Oh, the yeah. Wes Anderson. Uh, and um, he did the voice of Aaron in The Prince of Egypt, which is yeah. a movie I made you watch. <laughs> I love The Prince of yeah. Egypt, but... <laughs> so I want to ask about the, uh, you know, the effects and the makeup mm. uh, by Chris Wallace. I don't know how to pronounce his name. W-A-L-A-S. Won the Academy Award. Yes. Um, how do you think the effects hold up in I think 2019? They, I think they look better than your crappy digitized, you know. Me too. I think they look extraordinary. I don't think you can, I don't think you can make... I mean, like, maybe one day digital will get so good that we won't even need actors anymore. And, you know, Carrie Fisher can play herself till the end of time or something like that. But to me, like, when you're talking about, like, hunks of flesh falling off of things, you need a hunk of flesh with, like, goopy or stuff. Or latex. Or yeah, yeah. Baked, baked rubber Weird or fake eyeballs and an ear sitting in a soap dish and, you know. <laughs> um. I need to give a shout out to uh, Mark Maron's podcast yeah. this week, um, WTF, because although he wasn't the guy who did makeup on this show, he interviewed um, Rick Baker, the who did everything for mm. years. The King Kong, both of the King Kongs, mm-hmm. um, of course, the American Werewolf in London, those yeah. transformation effects. Um, it's such a great interview about yeah. how he grew, how he was born in nineteen, I think, in the fifties, and grew up in you know out there and and became like a protege of um shoot ray harry hausen no i can't think of his dick uh dick smith the other big makeup guy in the in the 60s 70s i think and and he's just worked on so many things it's just a great interview about all the stuff that he's done and the and the the latex and the makeup and the working with actors and all the things you can do and the things he's built and they call them appliances. Yeah. You know, the things that they, <laughs> they build the, the, the late, the masks and the pieces and the features and all that. It's so great. Did you know that they, there's a funny story about how the Dino De Laurentiis, um, King Kong in the seventies with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lang, like the press and all that, they put out in the press that, Oh, we made this, king this gorilla robot it's like a mm-hmm. it's a king kong robot and that's what you're seeing and all they show clips of the thing well that robot is in like six seconds of the movie yeah it's actually rick baker in a in the gorilla <laughs> costume that he made the gorilla yeah. um mask and mm. costume it's amazing like <laughs> he went on to do gorillas in the mist and they were able to his stuff was so realistic that you could cut his Gorilla suits together with live with the footage of the actual oh, gorillas interchangeably. Interesting. Yeah, I saw that movie a million years ago. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry so, detour. Well, but if and you're American interested. Werewolf in London was a movie that we didn't do for the podcast, but was one of the ones that you hadn't seen that so, I showed you a number of years ago. Somehow, some way, we need to give props to the movies that didn't quite make the podcast mm. because we saw them the year before we decided to start That's the podcast. Right. <laughs> Um, but that was definitely one well, of them. Yeah. It's so good. 
you know. He was talking about working with Griffin Dunn on the deteriorating, uh, you know, he's the friend whose face is falling apart. And Well, I mean, I want to say, so this is, The Fly is in, in the same line of those types of horror movies, which are so resonant, you know, for whatever reason, you know, whether, whether we're able to figure out the exact metaphor that they're going for or not, but like, um, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's sometimes those, for me, these two in particular, American Werewolf in London and The Fly, are, you know, people falling in love and then experiencing this transformation that they can't stop for whatever reason. And you end up feeling how sort of, like, cruel, I think in American Werewolf in London, how cruel society is, but, like, more so in The Fly, how cruel, like, life is mm-hmm. and how... How unfair. Unfair, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, is sort of a lingering feeling that you get with well, those you definitely particular films. Have the, I found the love of my life, yeah. and it can never be because I'm turning into a fly. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, and how unfair that is. Yeah. I just want to shout at the heavens. Yeah. You know, I promise you I won't turn into a fly. You promise? Yeah. <laughs> I won't telepod drop. Well, the, the other thing he says is also a metaphor for aging, which... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No one can promise anyone that's that, true. you know, so anyway, so I, I think it's, um, it's, it's a great remake. It's a, it's a great film on its own. If the first one had never even existed, you know, I think that it's, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. And I'm glad it holds up. I just like, I mean, other than the computers, like the same thing could be made today and talk about DNA and yeah, technology. Even the and, computers had voice print identification. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, like it, it was. I know it's. You know, it was. You know, better than short circuit, <laughs> as far as the computers go. Let's not use that as the poll quote <laughs> on the poster for the fly. It's better, better than short, short circuit, circuit. I, which I watched a lot when I was a kid. Oh, trivia! <laughs> Tell them what uh, line of dialogue comes from the fly. Oh, it's the "be afraid, very afraid." Be afraid, afraid very afraid. Very afraid. Yes, which Gina Davis says to the um, the woman that uh, Jeff Goldblum hooked up at a bar the night before. That's like a line that everybody knows yeah. and nobody remembers. Comes. From I didn't this know movie. it was from that movie and either. I didn't re- remember that it came from this movie. It's come full circle now yeah. to the point where when she says it, it seems like she's quoting it from yeah. something else. But no, this is actually the thing where it came from. Also, we're recording on Jeff Goldblum's birthday. I was say that. It's true. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jeff! If you're uh, out there yeah. listening, I know you're not out there <laughs> listening. However. Um, we have to uh, we have to celebrate your your birthday with the yeah. podcast and me teaching a night class apparently too. Yes, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and um, I know we're kind of winding down. Yeah. So I and I meant to say this in the beginning, but uh, you know we're a little late putting this show out, and that's just because life happens sometimes. Yeah. We've been trying to we've been doing a pretty good job of getting this out every two weeks, and man. I think about a year ago this time, as we hit the the fall semester, academic, you know, we're mm. both in education. I've got two teenage daughters. Man, if you're a parent when the school year starts, anyway, we apologize for being a little <laughs> late getting this one out, but hopefully we can get back on track again. Um, well, and I had hoped to get another scary film out before the end of the October, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So I guess I could... Rec- res- so if I'm going to recommend that um, if you haven't seen it, check out American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have to do a <laughs> yeah. show on that because yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Um, Although I'm, it would be fun. Well, just for our listeners, not you know. For eventually, you we're going to run out of meaningful movies, and we'll have That's to true. cover the we'll stuff. Have to that go back. We'll have to go back. Um, and um, Rosemary's Baby, which I Something we've mentioned Wilds already. By Jonathan Demme. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch. There's a lot that we saw. Yeah, but those aren't scary. <laughs> Oh, I didn't I'm know talking about just, oh, I'm okay, talking about scary, scary ones. Okay. <laughs> Since I'm not going to be able to get another one out before October, I didn't have a lot of scary movies in mind that I thought you would like that you hadn't seen. Yeah, I don't have many that you haven't seen yeah. in mind. This, I was flabbergasted that you hadn't seen this. It just seems like something that you would have seen. 
Yeah, but I mean, like, it's not something that they, I mean, it's not something that they play at revival theaters very often, you know? I mean, like, maybe the Draft House would have shown it at some point, but, like... It was a big movie at the time. I mean, like, it's not a summer, it's not, like, family summer movie, you know, sort of thing. They don't don't show it at the Paramount during the summer movie classics. It's the biggest success of David Cronenberg's career, I think, in terms of popular (laughs) success. Anyway... So yeah, it's in, in lieu of um, of my own scary movie. I'll just uh, suggest uh, either American Werewolf in London or, or Rosemary's Baby. So you're not necessarily doing a scary movie next time. You could just shift it into November. Well, I guess so. I mean, like if but you have one, you're dying to do. It's, it's isn't November sort of like starts to be like cozy movie season. Like you know, we need like Pick people, a cozy horror movie. people with sweaters, you know, or something like that. Yes, people with sweaters. <laughs> Fireplaces. Fireplaces, you know. No Thanksgiving dinner movies. Oh, God. I hate those, like, family Thanksgiving dinners. Pieces of April. Is that what it was? Pieces of April? I don't know. That was not bad. It's The one with... um, There's just a lot. It's a genre. Yeah, it is. Uh, Other news item is uh, we're going to the Austin Film Festival this weekend. So um, we should do a little... We should should tell you what we see that's worth seeing when we come back. I'm excited. Um, So that's... uh, The festival starts... Tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah. We but won't be able to go till Friday. Friday. But um, we'll be going all weekend long and um, hope to have some stuff to recommend. Yeah. Anyway, that, I think that's it for the show, unless you have any of, anything else to say about The Fly, Cronenberg, Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and uh, Body Horror. Sorry. No. Okay. That's a reference for all the Visco girls. Yes. All right. <laughs> that's it for shut up and watch this uh, episode number 40 can you believe we've done 40 of these 40 episodes all right we'll have to do something special for 50 yes that's like half a year away yes it is all it's right like at least six months away <laughs> thank you for listening if you stuck it out this long um if you've never seen the fly please go catch it it was easy to find on dvd or streaming it's on amazon so, yeah, itunes you, all that kind of stuff youtube yeah. readily available catch up with it again i had seen it three times i really enjoyed seeing it again it's good but you know it's a little squicky yeah. So be ready for that. Yeah. Just put your hand over your eyes. There's yeah, some vomiting. The fingernail yeah. scene. Just yeah. cover your eyes. That's true. <laughs> and your ears. And your ears. Yeah. Okay. Thanks again. We'll we'll see you again next time. All right. See you. Bye. See you. <laughs>